You're listening to Common Threads, a podcast about ethical fashion, hosted by Ruth McGilp and Alice Cruikshank. We go beyond buzzwords and PR peddling interviews and instead dive deep into what really matters. Each week we break down the big issues, all with a little help from some amazing guests. Let's change the fashion game, one conversation at a time. Hello and thank you for joining us for the very first episode of Series 2 of Common Threads. We have really missed chatting about ethical fashion with you and we are actually super excited to introduce this series and lots more amazing guests. Yes, it's so nice to be back. And speaking of amazing guests, we are in very good company today with the wonderful Lauren Bravo. I'm sure many of you read her book, How to Break Up with Fast Fashion Over Lockdown, but even if your copy is still on your to-be-read shelf, we know you're going to find what Lauren has to say so interesting. Exactly. And it's so exciting to start this series with a bang. But just before we get into that, let's have a quick look at what's been happening in the ethical fashion conversation since we last spoke to you way back in August. For our pay-up episode, which featured Aisha Barron-Blatt, Sadly, garment workers are still waiting for payment for many of those cancelled orders. So there's a few brands still on the list like Topshop and Urban Outfitters who are still refusing to pay up. The journalist Elizabeth Klein recently published an article in Forbes called Fashion's $16 billion debt to garment workers should spark reform, not sympathy, which I really recommend reading. We'll put the link in the bio and it really outlines the scale of the problem at a more systemic level that this issue of unpaid orders, you know, it won't change, it will keep happening unless we we change the system. Luckily, there is a concrete action that we can all take to help out. So the new Pay Up Fashion website has since been set up. There's a brand new petition on there that makes several demands to top fashion retailers and it takes such little time, less than a minute to sign. You just pop in your email and you can do so at payupfashion.com. In the same episode as Pay Up, We also discussed lost stock. So they wanted to help garment workers by giving customers access to unsold garments from those factories. But you may have seen recently the stream of negative reviews that have poured in online. And they're from customers who feel like they've been scammed by the initiative. So I'd highly recommend an article in The Guardian called It's Not What Was Promised. And we'll link that in the show notes too. And it sort of gives an overview on um, maybe the slight letdown of the situation. Yeah, Lost Stock turned out to be quite a weird one. I think to start with, we were both dubious and then we were optimistic and it's interesting that it has turned out to be a bit of a flop. I think it just goes to show you if something seems too good to be true, then it definitely is. But moving on, our greenwashing episode is still one of our most listened to episodes ever, which just shows how big an issue this is but also how interested you all are in just cutting through that bullshit, especially as brands just keep pushing false messages. I'm sure you've probably seen ASOS's new circular collection, which is anything but circular. We mentioned before that until legislation is brought in to, you know, regulate what can and can't be said, then greenwashing is just going to carry on. But speaking of legislation, there have been some developments in that area. You might be aware that in 2019, MPs rejected all proposals from the Fixing Fashion Report from the Environmental Audit Committee. Well, a charity called Hubbub released a new report in September, which detailed how the UK could become a leader in sustainable fashion. One of our favourite ethical influencers, Azure Barber, spoke with the government, 
as well as H&M and Misguided, but that is a whole other story about the reality of this and her thoughts on the report. And the good news from all this is that the Fixing Fashion report is now being revisited in Parliament this year, so hopefully we will see some progress. The other big moment for me in the last few months was the Lucy and Yak sizing scandal. If you missed it, where have you been? This goes back to Asha Barber again, who just calmly highlighted that Lucy and Yak's new focus on their minimal efforts towards size inclusivity were very hypocritical, and that they'd spoken with her and other marginalised voices about issues like this years previously, but had chosen not to act on it. There was then a whole thing on Instagram with the brand playing the victim and letting racist and fatphobic comments be prevalent on their page. But they've since held their hands up to their wrongdoing and outlined actionable steps on how they're planning to change. And the whole incident shows that we can't just put ethical brands on a pedestal. We all have room to grow and that ethical fashion from a business perspective isn't just about doing what's easy or comfortable or somehow emulating fast fashion practices. These are all things that we're going to look at in more detail soon. Absolutely, there's been lots happening. But with that in mind, it's time for today's interview, which we're extremely excited about. It's with one of the most popular voices in the conversation about how we as consumers can move towards a more conscious wardrobe. Lauren Bravo is a freelance journalist and the author of How to Break Up with Fast Fashion. I think what struck us in this conversation with Lauren is that she is extremely passionate about helping us make ethical fashion more relatable for everyone and encouraging us that even small steps can lead to a big change. After the interview, she talked for a bit longer and mentioned a quote from the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg to us, which I think really um, resonated, which was, fight for the things you care about, but do it in a way that will lead others to join you. And this is exactly how she approaches her work, which connects consumers to the ethical fashion movement. Exactly. Ruth and I couldn't agree more with this approach, which might be because Lauren's journey to break up with fast fashion really mirrors our own experiences as former fast fashion addicts ourselves. We chatted to Lauren about how she left her toxic relationship with fast fashion, how listeners can do the same, and why embracing your personal style is one of the biggest things you can do to fight against the current system of consumption. Hi Lauren, thank you so much for joining us. Ruth and I are both big fans of your book, so we were really excited that you agreed to come and chat with us today. Oh, I was excited to be asked. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. So I feel like your book touches on things all of us as fashion lovers can really relate to. Yeah, I really hope so. I think that was definitely what I was uh, was going for with the book, was trying to make something that people who really love fashion, first and foremost, would kind of respond to rather than coming at it necessarily from a eco-activist perspective I think. I think that was really refreshing um, to hear because it's really where a lot of people are at and we've got to meet people where they're at really um, and I think the thing that has been most impactful is the analogy you've obviously made to a relationship and like a toxic relationship and you know running back to your ex and all the things we can relate to but why, what was it that made you decide that you wanted to leave that toxic relationship? Oh my God, it was a series of things really. It was kind of a, it was coming for a long time. I think like a lot of negative relationships, but maybe I just didn't see the signs. Um, so I've got, I've always had a bit of a up and down relationship with um, the fashion industry. So I grew up wearing a lot of secondhand clothes. Um, my parents loved charity shops, still do. 
I wore a lot of vintage in my teens, um, you know, as I think a lot of us do when you're sort of wanting to be individual and um, I thought it made me a bit cool. And then over the course of my 20s, I just found that I was buying more and more fast fashion, I think, as a lot of people did uh, over the past decade. And it got to the point where I was just perpetually shopping. And if I wasn't shopping, then I was thinking about shopping. I was, you know, spending every sort of spare minute that I could shoehorn in, like scrolling on ASOS and constantly taking my returns back to the post office. And I realised that I was... I was giving kind of fashion so much time and energy and money and it wasn't really making me happy. Um, so there was that sort of, I guess, on a selfish kind of individual level, there was that big wake up. Um, and then at the same time, as a sometime fashion writer, I was obviously starting to read more and more about the environmental impact of the fashion industry. I was starting to understand a lot more about the humanitarian issues. You know, I watched the true cost and once you've seen something like that, it's really hard to kind of unknow that stuff. Um, and I think, you know, the kind of various pieces of the jigsaw were sort of falling into place in my head. And it all kind of came together around the point where I turned 30, which is a bit of a cliche, but um, I sort of had a bit of an epiphany. I moved house and suddenly I was sorting through all these wardrobe mistakes from like the past 10 years. and. I was finding clothes that I'd forgotten I even owned and things that were perfectly nice. And I was like, why don't I wear this anymore? Um, and so I realized then that I could probably quite easily go a whole year without buying anything brand new. So I decided to kind of give myself that final push. Um, I'd already started kind of stepping away from the high street. I'd started buying more secondhand, but I thought, no, I need a proper challenge to really prove to myself I can do it. So I vowed to go for the whole of 2019, um, not buying anything new. and. I think I realised as soon as I started doing it, actually just how toxic that relationship had been. I think that's often the way with relationship breakups as well, isn't it? You know, once you get over the sort of initial crying phase, you start to look back and think, oh, wow, okay. Actually, it was never very good for me. Absolutely. I feel like everything you've said is literally my exact story, which is literally any <laughs> woman's story who has been in a relationship with the fast fashion. It's so all-consuming. But bizarrely, when you say to people... I'm not doing it anymore. I'm going to quit fast fashion. You get quite a lot of strange reactions as you're talking in the book about what aboutery, and it's so true, right? Oh yeah, completely. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's funny because I stopped drinking in my early twenties um, because I just couldn't tolerate it anymore for various kind of health reasons, not because I really wanted to. And I actually had a lot of very similar reactions, I think, to when I quit fast fashion, which is that when you do anything that is, I suppose, reportedly for self-improvement or trying to be a better person in the world. Um, people inevitably see it as a kind of tacit judgment on themselves. You know, whether you've said anything or not, um, they will automatically kind of, I don't know, I suppose project their own perhaps guilt, perhaps insecurities um, onto you and that decision. So I did have yeah, a lot of friends would sort of say, oh my God, don't ask me where I bought this from or, oh, well, you're so good. You know, I can never find anything in secondhand shops. And um, and a lot of people as well wanting to, yeah, wanting to kind of examine, I suppose, every area of my life. Um, so as soon as you make any kind of ethical change like that, you do get people saying, sure, but are you going to be a vegan? Uh, you know, or are you going to stop flying? Um, I had people when I announced that the book was coming out I had people saying well is it printed on recycled paper and you know how dare you sell it via Amazon like what are you doing about that and 
you know, of course, those were really valid kind of comments and issues. But I think one of the things that you guys talk about, you know, brilliantly on this podcast is that idea that you, everyone has to start somewhere and you can't tick all of those boxes at once. You just can't. And if you expect people to do that, then ultimately setting yourself up for failure, because if we wait for people to be perfect activists, then we'll never get anywhere. That's so true. I think for me, it's the like apologies that people make to me about their fast fashion behavior and to sort of say it's not it's not me you need to apologize to and being sort of perfectly imperfect is something we talked about um you know sort of talking about being vegan but having a bit of halloumi um which is definitely my situation as well (laughs) yeah I'm vegan except for Christmas and cheese and weekends and yeah (laughs) but why do you think it is so important that we empower people to make these small changes even though you know the conversation is more around big system change which does feel a bit overwhelming to your everyday shopper yeah I mean I think it's exactly that I think that it's so easy to feel completely overwhelmed by the awfulness of everything and then think that there's no point even trying to make a change and what I find is very difficult, particularly about a lot of the conversations we're having around sustainable fashion at the moment, is that we're trying to almost operate on kind of um, two different paths at once, I suppose. There's a real duality. So on the one hand, we're trying to fight for large scale systemic change. You know, we need government legislation. We need huge brands to sort of be held accountable. We need kind of massive system changes in order to actually get where we need to be at the, the speed that we need to get there. But at the same time, what we're also doing, I think, is trying to encourage people to just make small, manageable changes in their lives, because actually that that can add up to a huge difference. And particularly when it comes to proving, I think, to those governments and to those brands that there is a real appetite for this and people do care. And I think it can be quite hard for people to get their head around that, that um, we need to do both at once. And, you know, uh, on the one hand, we need to be sort of holding people accountable and pushing to be better all the time. But actually also what I think we really need to do, and this is something that I feel very passionately about, is make the world of sustainability and particularly sustainable fashion a welcoming space for for newbies, you know, because we're all newbies at some point or other. And like, I've really only been writing and talking about this stuff for a handful of years. And I still have a lot of crises of confidence where I'm like, I don't really know enough. I'm not an academic. I'm, you know, I'm not a full-time activist. I'm not even a full-time sustainable fashion writer. And, you know, do I really deserve to be in this, this kind of space? But then I think, well, if we make it a kind of very exclusive place where you have to know everything and you have to get everything right first time, then we're never going to get anywhere. You know, it just doesn't make any logical sense. So, yeah, I think I, I really like to focus on the sort of small changes that people can make that help them feel like they are contributing and small changes can lead to bigger changes. Um, and yeah, I really sort of, I, I think I, I really think that we're doing it wrong if we make this kind of a hostile place for people who kind of think, oh, well, I'm never gonna get it right. Like everything I do is gonna be problematic in some way, so I just won't try. Absolutely. And I think that's something like I relate to a lot in my work as a fashion stylist. I'm always like, can I be an ethical fashion stylist? Does that even exist? (laughs) Um, But I think 
a key thing that I try and say to people I work with is you don't always have to buy new it's about finding the passion for your own clothes but as you say in your book 79% of women feel their best wearing something new so how can we shift that mindset how can we get away from that fear of oh I've already worn it I can't wear the same thing twice yeah, I mean, it's a really difficult one, isn't it? I think um, one of the answers and something I try to do in the book is definitely talking about styling clothes. So this will be something, obviously, Alice, that you're familiar with. Um, it's something we've forgotten how to do. So I think because the pace of fast fashion has been such over the last kind of 15, 20 years, and of course that price point has just plummeted to the point where a lot of us have been able to afford to go and buy something new every time we've got bored. You know, it's, whereas kind of, decades ago our, our mothers and grandmothers generation were so much more used to having to sort of change up what they owned by putting a different belt on it maybe taking the hemline up maybe layering up you know jumpers and things and it sounds so um simple and obvious to sort of remind people that you can just put a jumper on over a dress and hey presto you've got a skirt but actually i needed reminding of that and i think you know a lot of people do because we have just got so used to that yeah that conditioning that says that if we're feeling a little bit bored a little bit of wardrobe on we we know we've got pms or whatever the sort of solution to that is just to go out and buy something else a little pick me up um so i think that is one important thing i think that yeah layering is like a really big thing that i've certainly been on a bit of a journey with um i think i always felt like because i'm not scandinavian i couldn't really layer properly um but uh yeah so there are amazing people like do you guys know swapped.co.uk lucy who runs that does the most incredible things on social media where she will take on the 30 wears challenge with one item and she will style it 30 different ways and it's really impressive. So she'll take a skirt and not only will she style it in loads of different ways for different seasons, different occasions, but then she'll make it into a dress and she'll make it into a top. And yeah, I think that stuff like that is the way that we can kind of, you know, almost make wearing the stuff that we own as exciting and as cool as going out and buying new things. I think the social media has a massive role to play as well. We know that social media is responsible for a lot of the damage, but I also think that it can play a big role in undoing a lot of that and actually promoting this stuff as something that is desirable. We need to make outfit repeating cool again. That's something that I can't Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I love that swapped thing. I, I, it blows my mind how many outfits she can create and it gives me oh, loads of so ideas. Cause I am someone that I, I often feel bored with my wardrobe. And I think that's why in the past I would have turned to fast fashion because, you know, it's this whole idea of someone telling you, you know, what to do it's like you don't have to think creatively you don't have to think you know like thrifty grandmas would you just mm -hmm. buy it straight off the mannequin and you know the box is ticked completely yeah and I think people don't have the confidence as well I think that's something that being sold these looks wholesale has kind of taken away from us is a sense of our own personal style and what do we think looks good rather than just what we're being told looks good and I'm still struggling with that you know I still will kind of put things on and think do I actually like this or is it just because I've seen everyone on Instagram wearing this that I feel like I like it. So what about for people like I know I used to be this way that shopping was something that they really enjoy and it's sort of like a hobby it's a pastime and I know you talk about in your book like you know just walking home from work on Oxford Street or what and just yeah. you know it just being part of your routine and your habit what do you sort of say to those people that just can't really shift that routine? 
I mean, I would say it's fine to still love fashion and have that as a hobby and as a part of your personality. And I think, you know, like I said, I wanted the book to be a real celebration of the joy of getting dressed up and how positive that can be and how clothes can be an amazing tool for communication and all of that stuff doesn't need to be parked by the wayside. And I think that, you know, certainly it is changing a lot now, but a few years ago, when I first kind of came to this stuff, it really felt like the sustainable fashion world was entirely filled with kind of po-faced people who were happy to wear the same like utilitarian hemp culottes every single day. And that's great, but you're not gonna convert fast fashion lovers with that stuff. So um, I'm, yeah, I'm always keen to sort of say to people that you can still love fashion, but actually, you'll find as a hobby, it can be so much more rewarding if you're not buying new stuff, you know? So whether that is trawling charity shops and vintage fairs and making it like a nice afternoon out, obviously we can't do as much of that at the moment, but in an ideal world, um, you know, that can be so much more fulfilling really than just kind of going up the high street. Um, having a dress up session is something that I talk about a lot. And I think that's something that, again, we don't do that as adults. You know, we used to, when we were teenagers, you would have like a, great Friday night with your mates maybe you'd kind of put on crazy outfit combinations you would try kind of try out different things in front of your mirror with no shame and experiment and that was how you maybe hit on a combination that you felt really good in and I think that is something we can certainly do also just finding other things to kind of do with your time and your hands can be really helpful so I know for me I actually started reading a lot more books um, which sounds a bit boring and a bit Rory Gilmore-ish but like actually it was really nice once I realized that I wasn't perpetually looking out for that next sort of trend fix I kind of yeah started you know watching more films in the evening and having a bath and all of that stuff but I also think it's really good to actually examine the emotional and psychological reasons that you're shopping and I think that that is something that is quite helpful for those people who really feel like shopping is such an integral part of their life and their identity so actually sort of stepping back and when you notice those cravings hitting that kind of urge to like run out and just throw all your money at Zara or whatever actually saying okay well why am I feeling that and normally you can get to the bottom of it and you can go oh okay it's actually because I'm a bit sad this week or I feel a bit insecure about this thing or you know I maybe I'm actually really happy and I'm celebrating but society has taught me that the way that I celebrate something is by spending money Yes, all of that is so true and I could not agree more. You definitely sound like someone who's kind of got their shit together now, but... I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Getting there. (laughs) Yeah, but it's definitely a journey, cliched as that is, it's a journey giving up fast fashion, but what would you say has been the hardest part for you or was it actually a lot easier than you expected? Do you know what? It was, on the whole, it was easier than I expected, but it was still really hard. (laughs) I think I thought it was going to be awful. For me, I think the hardest thing was letting go of trends and that idea that I need to look current. And that's something I'm still struggling with now. Like I'm a lot better, but you know, I think it's kind of easy to dismiss trends as something that are wholly superficial and and pointless. Um, And of course, sometimes they are, but I think that there's also an argument to say that it is kind of human nature that, you know, there's something very like deeply ingrained in us to want to blend in with our peers and our contemporaries and um you know I always loved trends and watching the way they evolved and the way they cycled back round and you know I almost had like a little bit of a kind of um a sort of psychic not psychic but I really enjoyed sort of thinking well cowboy boots haven't been around for a while I think next season cowboy boots are going to be back and then cowboy boots would be back and I'd be like yes I was right and 
I quite enjoyed that. So letting go of that was definitely difficult. I have had to have quite a few talks to myself where I sort of remind myself that, you know, I can enjoy fashion from a distance without necessarily having to participate in all of it. And yeah, I think kind of just learning that it's okay to wear something that isn't on trend. You know, it's okay to wear something that is, maybe feels a bit dated if I absolutely love it it doesn't matter so that's something I'm still working on but I'm getting there (laughs) yeah I feel like it's a bit of a lifelong journey isn't it you talk about how fashion needs us more than we need fashion Mm. how is your kind of relationship with that grown do you feel like you have power just through what you buy I think it's I think I do but I think particularly if it's a collective act so I think it's naive to imagine that me going to a charity shop rather than H&M is, you know, necessarily changing anything, particularly not the pace that we need to change it. But I do think that by normalising those behaviours and each one of us can play a little part in that, then I think we do have the power actually to affect great change. Um, And like I said, I think the two things need to go hand in hand. So I think it's about making those small changes in our own lives, which hopefully then can influence friends and family to sort of do the same and then it becomes more normal and then I think that snowballs um you know and if you look at things like plastic bags when they introduced the 5p tax on plastic bags consumption of plastic bags went down by about 90 percent in quite a short space of time and I find stats like that really reassuring because it you know it does show that actually people are I think a little bit more malleable than we give ourselves credit for And, you know, again, that's the argument for legislation, isn't it? Rather than having to take the sort of burden on our own shoulders as consumers. But I do feel like we have a power, particularly if we're vocal about our our kind of decisions. So the thing I tend to try and say to people is, you know, change your habits. If you're going to stop shopping with a brand, tell them why. Um, You know, be noisy about it. Tweet them, Instagram comments, you know, send emails, all of that stuff, I think has to sort of go hand in hand with changing our habits I don't think we can be completely silent about it I don't know maybe I'm a naive optimist but I do like to think that actually yeah each one of us has that potential to vote with our wallets because yeah like I said fashion does need us more than more than we need it and ultimately if we communicate that to brands that we're not happy with the way things are going and we're going to take away our custom and then we'll be forced to do something different Yeah, I think Ruth and I are both naive optimists as well, or we wouldn't be doing this podcast. (laughs) The world needs us, I think. Exactly. But you touched on social media there. And obviously, social media is so important for the ethical fashion conversation. And one thing it's really made clear to me this year, especially, is ethical fashion does have an accessibility and an inclusivity Mm. problem. So we're not going to grill you on this topic, but it's obviously so important that we realise that for us to be able to change our habits is a privilege. And it's just get your thoughts on that, really. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is something that has been overlooked for far too long um, and cannot be. You know, I think it's probably the most pressing issue really in the sustainable fashion world because you know there's the moral level to which you know we can't ever pretend to be ethical if we're leaving people behind I think that's really really important I think um you know it absolutely infuriates me particularly the size inclusivity um issues that we're sort of talking a lot about at the moment that you will hear brands say and I've had conversations kind of behind the scenes as well with with sort of smaller sustainable makers who will say well it's beyond my capacity to be able to um, provide a full size range, you know, I'm, I'm small, I'm starting out. 
And I think that's, you know, fine. Okay, fair enough. That's maybe true. But what does it say that every single sustainable label or maker decides to start their range at a size eight when we know that the most common size in this country is a 16? Um, you know, there are no makers going, okay, well, I'm going to start at a 14 and go up to a 24 or, you know, that that doesn't happen. They're all starting at an eight. And so we can't say that there's no fat phobia in that because of course there is. I find it, you know, it is maddening. I think that there aren't enough brands you know trying to do things differently and include more people particularly because it's like even if you take away the moral implicate like the moral obligation to do that it's a numbers game like there are thousands of consumers out there wanting to buy more sustainable clothes wanting to get you know these beautiful items and they can't they're being denied them and it just seems mad as a business opportunity besides for anything else that um that kind of brands aren't wise to that so i think it's something we have to keep talking about. I think acknowledging that there's price accessibility issues as well, that, you know, of course, sustainable fashion needs to cost more. And um, I wrote an article about this a little while ago for The Independent, but it's very hard to find that sweet spot kind of between clothes costing what they need to cost in order to make sure that nobody is exploited. I think it can all too often be a bit of a get out where people will say, I can't afford to spend more than fast fashion, but at the same time, what that means to them is they can't afford to spend more if they're going to keep shopping in the way that society has told them they need to shop, right? And, you know, the group of people who genuinely can't afford to buy more than, than clothes from Primark or Boohoo is much smaller than the group of people who feel like they can't afford to because they have been taught that, you know, they need a new outfit every two weeks. And, like, that's not their fault either because it's, we've all been conditioned by the same kind of, the same forces. But I think it's a really, really tricky, nuanced conversation and it's very tough to get this stuff right. But one thing I really feel a lot at the moment as well is that if we're talking about accessibility, we have to make sure that the sustainable fashion world is also, and I don't know if I'm going to phrase this very well because it's one of those things I haven't really said out loud, but I've just been kind of formulating thoughts in my mind. But there is an educational accessibility issue as well. If that makes sense, I think there's a sort of intellectual accessibility that we need to think about. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier, which is that on the one hand, we have to be holding people accountable for this stuff. We have to be um, banging the drum for more inclusivity. We have to be making sure that we have these conversations and we don't let brands kind of get away with doing the bare minimum. But at the same time, <laughs> we also have to be making sustainable fashion a welcoming place, which means not making people feel like they're going to be tripped up and caught out at every opportunity, you know? And I think, yeah, like Ruth said earlier, you have to meet people where they're at and not everyone is gonna have read everything piece. Not everyone is gonna have watched every Instagram live. Not everyone is gonna be aware of all these issues yet because, you know, at some point or other, none of us were and everybody comes to it in their own time. So I think that it's a very tricky balance. I think we have to kind of make sure that it's welcoming for people who haven't had a chance to kind of get up to speed with those issues as well. Does that make sense? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I think I was doing my website and I read some old blog post I'd written and I was like, God, the language I was using was so basic. Yeah. And the issues I was talking about were so basic, but I was like, obviously we need that. And yeah. I think the further you get into the world of ethical fashion and the echo chamber, 
maybe the more kind of exclusive the conversations you're having really are. That's it. It's very easy, I think, to forget that not everyone is up to speed. Not everyone knows the right terminology. Not everyone has even thought about issues like mm -hmm. size inclusivity, you know, and yeah, they should be. But we can't kind of, you know, we can't make it a place that feels hostile. It's got to be kind of come in, join the conversation, listen, learn, try your best and keep doing better rather than, you know, get it wrong and you're out. <laughs> Absolutely. And your, your book obviously did a really great job with that. Um, but bringing it back to the personal, want to know where you buy your clothes now um, that your sort of no buy year is over and, you know, are you shopping more with ethical brands? Is it secondhand? And I've seen a bit of rental on your Instagram as well. So what's your shopping habits like now? Yeah, it's mainly secondhand. I'll be honest, that is my sort of, that's my comfy place. Um, I love charity shops and I, I volunteer in a charity shop every week. So I get like a lot of stuff from there. Um, first dibs on all the good stuff. And I've been doing quite a lot of vintage buying online. So Instagram is amazing for finding brilliant vintage sellers at the moment. So I've been getting the odd piece that way. Um, eBay, I've always bought loads off eBay. I tend to... I mean, I do a sort of secondhand first rule. So before buying anything brand new, I would always try and get it secondhand, even if it's something that only came out last year or, you know, even if it's new trainers, stuff like that, I will always go on eBay and Depop before I buy anything new and make sure that, um, yeah, I've sort of investigated that avenue first. Um, I am trying to buy bits from sort of small independent brands as well when I can. I'll be honest, to be honest, like since I finished my no buy year and, um, obviously the pandemic kicked in pretty quickly after that so I haven't really been shopping very much like and that's I think it's another tricky thing particularly when you're sort of um someone with a little bit of a platform in the sustainable fashion world is that you do feel this pressure to be supporting every brand i.e by shopping with them and that kind of goes against all the stuff that I've, I've unlearned <laughs> over the last year so you know I try and sort of be a cheerleader for um all the kind of small indie brands that I can without necessarily being able to afford to buy stuff from all of their collections so mainly secondhand is still still what I love um and yeah little rental as well I've been sort of getting into as well there are some really brilliant um platforms I love by rotation I love new um you know her are really great on loan are great for subscription stuff as well um but I think the main things I'm just trying to wear my own clothes as much as I possibly can and particularly at the moment where I'm barely going out, you know, I'm just sort of quite enjoying putting together random combinations of things that I've had for 10 years. So that's, yeah, shopping my own wardrobe, I think we call it. <laughs> yes, I'm a big fan of shopping your own wardrobe, <laughs> but I definitely agree what you say. Like when I post on Instagram, I'm always very conscious that I'm essentially wearing head to toe fast fashion. It's just all old or secondhand, yeah. but- This we is Zara that I'm wearing this little tank top is charity shop Zara. <laughs> Yeah, we just need to normalise that, don't we? And it's people just don't quite get it yet that you can't shop your way to being more ethical. Right. I think, yeah, that is definitely, it's one of the obstacles that we really need to overcome is people will often say to me, okay, well, where do I shop now? Like, that's their first question. And I always want to go, whoa, 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 wait, back up. And that's why I made um, the middle sort of section of the book is all about living within your own wardrobe and really kind of getting to know what you have, learning from your mistakes, learning to style things, learning to love things, take care of it all better. And then the last section is, okay, where can I shop now? Because I think, you know, like a relationship breakup, you have to have that kind of period of 
sitting with yourself and <laughs> self-partnering, I guess, as Emma Watson would call it, but just, um, yeah, learning to appreciate what you've already got and actually realising you've probably got a lot of clothes in your life already. Um, but you're right, people are a little bit too quick, I think, to want to shop their way out of the problem. So if we aren't shopping our way out of a problem, can you recommend one change that listeners can make today that is relatively pain-free and no money spending involved to try and shake fast fashion? Absolutely. Um, so I'm going to say, this is something that's been on my mind recently anyway, because I've watched The Social Dilemma. Um, and <laughs> uh, I'm going to say curate your digital life, because I think that social media and um, marketing has such a big impact on our shopping, even if we don't realise it. So I gave up fast fashion, you know, well over a year ago and well, two years ago, pretty much. And I am still playing kind of digital whack-a-mole with those um, marketing emails. Like I will still every week open one and be like, why am I still subscribed to this? Why am I on this mailing list? So I would say, go through your Instagram, unfollow or mute anyone that makes you want to shop. You know, all of even if they're really lovely influencers, even if you, you think they're nice and you want to support them, if they are making you feel like you are less than because you don't have that latest prairie dress or whatever, it's okay to mute them. Like get them off your feed. Um, definitely unfollow any brands that are perpetually selling to you. Go through your email inbox, unsubscribe from everything you possibly can. And I think you'll be amazed at how much calmer you feel after a little while when you're not being kind of, yeah, chased around the internet by that dress that you clicked on once. So that, that would be my first tip. <laughs> That is a great tip. And I always say that to people as well, because I think it's not just the brands, it's influencers. It's just Instagram is set up to make us shop. I think they're starting to put a shopping feature on IGTVs and things now. So mm -hmm. that's an amazing tip. And um, where can people learn more about how to break up with fast fashion? Where can people find you? What have you got coming up? It'd be great to hear a bit about what you're up to. Yeah, so um, I am at Lauren Bravo on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I'm actually taking a little bit of an Instagram hiatus at the moment, but I'm sure I'll probably be back by the time the podcast goes out. And yeah, you can get the book from all good indie booksellers. If you don't see it on the shelves, please just request it and they can normally order it in for you. It's at Wolfstones and, you know, everywhere else you can buy books. And I'm, yeah, still doing some talks and things. I'm hosting a virtual tour on the history of charity shops next month, which is quite wow. fun. Um, and I'm generally writing bits. I'm, you know, I write a lot for Telegraph, Refinery29, um, Stylist, Grazia, people like that. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I loved that conversation. It was so great to bring it back to that personal side because as we all know, and in our experience, it's that personal relationship with fashion that is one of the biggest hurdles you have to face up to in your kind of journey to learning about the negative impacts of fashion. And I know that no matter how much I talk about the bigger system, the most frequent questions I get asked is just like, where do I buy this? Or how do I stop buying this? And that's why I lend out Lauren's book, How to Break Up with Fast Fashion to like all of my friends, just to really tackle those basic questions and start to unpack the baggage in quite a fun and humorous and accessible way. Exactly. And we have to keep the conversation accessible. Yes, conversations about why dismantling capitalism and the current system of power is the only true way to change the fashion system are valid. 
But the reality is, as you say, Ruth, most people just want to be a bit better. And I know that for me personally, my mission is to help everyday people be that bit better. But I am equally happy to come down hard on companies who aren't being held to account for their bad behaviour. And of course, to advocate for legislation. Absolutely. We've got to hit it at all angles. So thank you so much for listening. You can stay connected and get involved with Common Threads. You can follow us on Instagram at Common Threads Podcast. You'll find Alice at Styled by Alice X. And I've actually changed my Instagram handle. I'm now at Ruth McGilp with two underscores at the end, which isn't annoying at all. And you can find Lauren at Lauren Bravo on social media too. Her book is also available at all good bookstores. And make sure to support your independent bookstores instead of Amazon. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today and we'll see you next week. Goodbye.